0: And here's another threat, Mahai Drysdale for New Zealand, who was a member of the New Zealand Four in the Olympics.
1: But the one I look for, I think, is, is, uh, is, uh, is uh, Drysdale uh, from New Zealand. He's, he's been sculling very well, looked very confident earlier on, and he seems just here to be edging it out. And it's interesting because he's moved from rowing, he was uh, in the four for New Zealand last year, and he's moved out of rowing into sculling. And that's been done before by Jamie Coburn, who became world champion, um, from moving from the, uh, from the eight into sculling. It's been done by Derek Porter. We're looking here there at Drysdale. Drysdale driving his legs. He does drive his legs. Uh, his seat gets to the finish before he really starts to uh, use his, uh, uh, his back and unfold his back. Um, but you know, has he got the intelligence of a single sculler in the, last, uh, in the last 750 meters there to hold off the challenge from these more experienced scullers? That's the big challenge. You can see there he pushes his legs and then finishes off with his body in the second part of the, of the stroke.
0: But I must say, Maha Drysdale, this is a really polished performance here. Plenty of power, plenty of desire, and he's almost a length up. And look at the people
1: that he's leading. But Drysdale just turned it on and moved on to by, by a good uh, half to three quarters of length. Looking very strong.
0: Because now
1: Drysdale absolutely striking for home now and leaving the other two to scrap it out for silver and bronze. See, the boat is not very balanced. He's uh, he's, he's uh, definitely a rower gone into a sculling boat. But what a fantastic finish!
0: It is a fantastic finish because the gold medal goes to New Zealand. Mahai Drysdale, in his first season as a single scholar, takes the gold medal and takes the title back to New Zealand. Tufte a really spirited finish in 148-10, but only good enough for silver.
2: Hello ladies and gents, and welcome to another episode, another season of The Rose Show. Welcome to 2021, uh, season four, I think.
3: Yeah, we're back and uh, we are starting the year off with a banger, ladies and gentlemen. Today we are speaking to my head, Rysdale, five-time world champion, double Olympic golds and a bronze medal, just right off the bat. You know, really, uh, you know, you can definitely say that he's one of the best rowers of all time and we had a fantastic conversation with him.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, we're just going to wipe 2020 clean and we're going to start off 2021 with an epic episode and really going to set the standard for this uh, this new year new season and oh what an epic chat it was we recorded it today at the end of uh, 2020 just before uh, the december holidays and yeah we really got stuck in mahi loved to to chat about his racing chat about his uh rowing perspectives and and ideas and we we managed to to hit out a huge episode so we've broken this one into two parts so this is part one of uh, Mahi Drysdale, where we're going to cover most of his Olympic races, how he started in rowing and then travel through all his journeys and his difficult Olympic campaigns in 2004, 2008, and how he managed to execute that 2012 and 2016 race. And yeah, a really, really cool journey. You know, he learned some hard lessons along the way, but I don't know, his mindset and the way he perceived challenges was really, really impressive. And always, I think that's what got into to be one of the greatest scullers ever if yeah, not the greatest sculler ever
3: definitely and i think you know lawrence if we if we look at someone that has has been in some of the the toughest and tightest races like you said my head is probably one of our guests that's probably to be the best person to speak to with regards to things like that obviously you know rio 2016 the men's single skulls, what did we just watch it was ridiculous so that's amazing to chat, uh, to to listen to him talk about that race, um, and you know j- just a lot of respect for the you know his you know the respect that he has for uh and Martin and and that race was really you know humbling to hear him speak about that, um, such a you know awesome perspective, and then also you know on the on the bad side, so you know he's been on you know coming out on the good side with that, but like you said, getting sick in 2008, dealing with that, which is an issue. Um, you know, that was a tough time for him dealing with back injuries, you know, bicycle injuries, you know, training under, you know, the infamous Dick Tonks, the, the, so we really get through a lot this, this, this interview. And I think we really do get a good sense of, you know, the man and the machine that is My Drosdale.
2: Yeah. I mean, oh, his journey was awesome I and mean, you guys are going to hear all about it, uh, but just to, to give you a quick recap going into it. He started off actually as a sweep sculler, I mean, as a sweep ball and into the, into the men's four. Uh, him and Eric Murray started all together and kind of built this this system. And then he went into to the skull and had to fight his way into the skull quite a bit. Everyone else didn't want him to to race the skull, and he got in there and a really tough Beijing. You know, he was sick basically the whole of the Olympic Games, and really just had to push on. and 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 not once does he blame the sickness or any of that he mm. just pushes on and and says how he needs to be better next time and, and i think that really comes through onto his next olympic campaigns but let's leave it there i mean we're gonna we're gonna hear all about it from from the man himself and yeah i think you guys are gonna really enjoy that and just a bit of housekeeping before we get going thanks so much for listening to our our episodes and our podcast in 2020 we hit an all-time high uh, 2020, we got uh, nearly 17,000 listens uh, through the, throughout the year, which is uh, better than all the other years. So yeah, really, really awesome. And thanks for for all the guys and girls who have uh, supported us on PayPal. You guys can still go there, hit the hit the link on our SoundCloud account, and go and give us a a little support. And it really goes a long way, and it really helps us improve the show and add more quality and more content to you guys. So we got some really cool stuff coming mm. up. We got some good Big interviews stuff. coming up. And we got some some cool ideas too to bring more content to you guys. So and hopefully we have more racing this year, so the regatta madness and hype
3: trains can uh, yeah. roll a bit more more often. Uh, anything else there, Jake? I think that's all. And uh, till the next episode, everyone. Good listening,
2: for sure. Enjoy the show, guys.
3: Welcome to the Road Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green.
2: And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a
3: little bit about running.
2: In South Africa, it brings
3: people together, breaks down barriers.
2: Yeah, right? My passion winning, to be the best. To be the best is something
3: we strive Confidence. for. There's crucial role South Africa. Passion, Great. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate gold. Glory.
2: Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another fantastic interview of The Row Show and today I'm very excited to let you know that we are speaking to Mahir Drysdale from New Zealand. Mahir, how are you doing and welcome to the show.
4: Um, Yeah, I'm doing great thanks and uh, thanks for having me.
3: Of course and straight off the bat we're going to dig straight into your first campaign um, at, at the Olympics and this takes us all the way back to 2004. And interest, interestingly enough, I'm sure a lot of viewers don't know, but you actually started your first Olympics off in the men's four uh, racing there. Um, and we really, ex- we really interested to hear how that went about and uh, your your experiences of your your first Olympic games.
4: Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it seems like a, a long time ago now, but um, I guess that that's where it all began for me. And um, you know, I probably need to go back to 2001 really, where where it all really started and uh, we had lost pretty much all our athletes after Sydney Um, and Ryan New Zealand were uh, I I call it desperate because um, you know they they, they just didn't have anyone and you know the way I got picked uh, there's no way in in today's environment we would get picked like that. Um, They literally went round our national champs, picked the probably twenty to twenty-five biggest guys um, gave them a trial. Got them all up to Carapero. Uh, We—I was a club rower at that time. Um, no talent. I hadn't gone through any of the, the erg testing or anything like that. Um, and you know, I was I was thrown into this this trial, and you know, I had I had a PB on the erg of, of six seventeen, uh, and. the My coach actually, my club coach, uh, just as I was walking in to do my 2K erg, he said, oh, I've told them you can do 610 on the erg, so don't disappoint me. And uh, I pulled a 608. And um, that put me into the top eight guys in the country uh, on the erg. And uh, so so that was really kind of where it began. But, But out of that trial, they selected a development eight. And that is still... The most successful crew um, development-wise that, that New Zealand's ever selected, and uh, that uh, involved me, uh, involved Eric Murray. Um, there was there's guys like Matthew Trott who went on into the the double. Um, there was Carl Meyer uh, who was was in that Olympic four. Um, there was Donald Leach who was also in that Olympic four. So. Our whole Olympic four effectively came from that, that one boat um, in 2001. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was uh, a, a pretty sort of rough start, I guess, to to rowing because, um, you know, my whole life got, got, got turned upside down. But, um, you know, going to that Olympics was awesome. And uh, we, we had, uh, I guess we'd come from uh, finishing uh, 11th the year before. We'd, we'd only just qualified. And, and, you know, that was a, a, uh, I guess, an idea in and in a, <laughs> like uh, a shock into rowing and how close it can be. Um, you know, we we literally were we were third in the semi-final um, until the, the final um, meters, and the Aussies uh, just pipped us for that, that a final spot. And so we thought, okay, well, you know, we're we're definitely kind of an next best crew. Uh, in the B final, and and the B final uh, in Milan, it came down to two seconds. I think it was one point eight seconds across the six crews, and um, you know we were we ended up eleventh and only uh, five 100th, um, ahead of of the uh, Danish crew that that just missed out. So, you know, it was it was quite a shock, and and only I guess just made the Olympics. But um, you know, once we once we sort of we were just developing very quickly. And uh, once we got to the Olympics, uh, you yeah, we, that was our first day final. And um, yeah, it was, it was a, a pretty good start. i um, finishing fifth. Uh, it was, it was a strange race because we were actually right up there at a thousand. And, uh, and that was partly because uh, there was helicopters and, and all sorts of uh, things going on. And uh, I was, I was doing the calls and, um, you know, we, we just, we were just basically we sprinted for a thousand metres and got to the end of the race. And I said, "Oh, you know, why why didn't we settle in in the middle of the race?" And they said, "Well, you never called it, and uh, it was actually just because they hadn't heard it uh, because of uh, the helicopters and stuff like that." So it was a I guess a baptism of fire, but um, you know, a very enjoyable experience, and you know, it was it was great being at the Olympics, but I, I guess leaving from Athens, I. I kind of, um, you know, I, I loved it, and I was like, oh, I want to be back here. Um, but next time I'm back here, I, I want to be in a position to win. And uh, and that was really the the start of it for me.
2: Sure, that's uh, that's really really cool. And you know, I think it's it's also quite awesome that you 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 got in this four kind of mixed matched uh, bunch of guys trying to build up the 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 New Zealand system, and then you know working your way through the B finals, and then. Having your best performance of the cycle at the games and coming into that A final, it must have, I mean, that's quite a uh, quite a big victory, I would say, just in its in its own to 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 make the A final, and you must have been pretty chuffed um, at the end of that regatta.
4: Um, yeah, no, we were. Um, yeah, it was. I guess a little bit bittersweet because, again, being young, um, you. You probably overrate yourselves in, in a way, and and yeah, you know, we we kind of thought, oh, you just show up at the Olympics, and um, you know you, you pull out this this amazing performance, and and you can win a medal, and you know that was so. So we were a little bit disappointed, to be honest, uh, even though it was our first day final, because we we thought we could we could be even better than that, and um, you know that was definitely naivety because uh, we had uh, the the um women's double obviously with, with the ever twindell twins, um they were they won the gold medal there. And uh the the thing with with that was we had we knew how many percentages uh points behind them we were and you know it was it was significant. Um and you know, they had just been consistent right through and, and then obviously they, they won the gold medal. So yeah, you know, that was that was a good, I guess, benchmark for us because uh, that was you know, when we actually looked at it realistically, it was like, No, we're we're not just gonna find two percent because we're at the Olympics and it's the Olympic final. Um, you know, that, that has to be built up and uh, unless you've you've done the work and, and by the time you get to the Olympics you're in a position to win. You're never gonna gonna pull out a performance that, that you've never done before. So you know, that was that was a a good learning experience for us and um you know it took that sort of first games probably to to realize that but you know it was it was a pretty quick um i guess um you know baptism of fire into the sport where we'd gone from uh you know being being a club rower to to being you know at the olympics within 3 years so um you know it was was um uh, was uh, those learnings uh, and and sort of improvements going on uh, all the way along that that journey?
2: Yeah, and it's and it's quite a big uh, big race to be to be a part of that uh, two thousand and four men's four. was
3: fall. a big race in the men's four.
2: But I wanted to touch back on you. I mean, so you say that that the the squad was was really small when you joined, and and you guys kind of had to build it up. But what was the like? What is the culture like, especially coming off two thousands where you'd had uh, Rob Waddell win the the first gold medal for? Uh, for New Zealand in a while and 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 you know kind of set it up for for the next generation. So what was the the culture like in the team when you joined?
4: Yeah, well, well I guess I guess the the culture was pretty much non-existent because there was there was no one there. Um you know like the Everest twins uh obviously were were the team. Um and they had they had missed out on Sydney and um you know but they'd been training with Rob so and and under Dick Tonk. So so they sort of, I guess, led the um, the team, and we were just young guys. Um, we had no idea what was going on, but I, I think the the one success that we had is, um, especially uh, Eric and I, is we we didn't look to you know we were looking to be the best in the world. Uh, we never we never focused on being the best in New Zealand, and. Um, that was you know that was one of the the big keys and and you know eric i would i would say um you know between the two of us we had a, a really competitive um you know we, we were i guess vying for for being that the top dog in in the new zealand squad um and uh, sorry sorry in the men's side the the women were were very good and uh, you know they had they had quite a, a strong team but uh, on the on the men's side there was no one so yeah, you know, as I said, uh, you know, uh, my PB going into that trials was six seventeen. I pulled six oh eight um, at the at the trials, and then uh, you know we sort of we had we had an erg test uh, in about oh it must have been March or April, uh, the following year. That was uh, sorry, the the trials was in uh, in March, and then uh, we had another erg test in about May, and I pulled a, a five fifty eight, and Eric pulled a five fifty seven, I think. Um, or, maybe, or maybe it was 5.59, 5.58. And uh, so, you know, that was, we were the first two people in New Zealand to go under six minutes uh, since Rob Waddell. And, um, you know, that was, that was a, a massive sort of improvement. Um, and But but both Eric and I sort of had, were focused on, you know, being the best in the world on the erg not, not just in New Zealand. And I, I think that was a, a real uh, culture um, having... Each other, as well as the other guys in the squad, we we're all pushing each other uh, on a daily basis, and and that uh, you know was was the basis of, of why we we could, you know we became so good as as we weren't limiting ourselves to you know it's, it's very easy and, and that's probably what a lot of the men in New Zealand I think were doing before that um, you know they were just happy that they'd made the men's four or um, you know they were they were winning the national champs in New Zealand but uh, the level of of that was, uh, you know, well below par on on a world stage, um, and that's you know that's where we were aiming. We wanted to be competitive on the world stage, not not just in our country.
3: Yeah, and I think it's amazing how much changes, how much you can actually learn in in a short space of time, especially when you are thrust into quite an intense environment. And then moving past um, 2004 towards 2005. I mean, we can see that your your horizons really did open up a way more. And I'm really fascinated to listen to the sculling because you went straight from um, the games. The next year, you became a world champion in the skull, which is fantastic. I mean, the only other person that's, that's done something similar that I know of is Derek Porter from Canada. But, you know, I'm just interested to hear, where did the sculling come from? Did you fresh just start in the skull in 2005 or was there some sort of sculling background and sculling pedigree that kind of, you kind of lent into post the Olympics.
4: Um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting one. I guess um, I, I had done a little bit of sculling um, in 2002. Um, my pair's partner, actually at my club, um, had a had an accident, um, and he he was unable to to race. So I was more than anything forced into the single. Um, and, you know, I was, was a very novice scholar, but, uh, you know, immediately, uh, I, I'd, I'd done pretty well. I, I think I finished fourth, um, at our national champs that first year in the single, uh, and then the following year became the, the national champion. So, you know, I, I had, I had a very small pedigree. I, I was certainly no good. Um, and again, I'm, you know, just, just talking about standards, you know, I, I'd, I'd never gone under, under seven minutes. Uh, in the skull, um, you know, b- before I, I sort of took uh, took it up, and I guess that was the the uh, the first um, you know the, the first goal when when uh, I decided in in Athens that I wanted to go on into the single, and you know I guess again just just that whole experience in Athens that, that I sort of touched on, um, you know, wanting to be the best, and uh, I thought well if I want to see where I am and, and you know, I was, I'd left my job and, and come down to Cambridge at that time, there was no money in the sport and uh, I kind of thought, well, you know, I've got to see how good I am because if I'm no good, then um, I'm not going to continue on in this sport. Um, so the single was, was the way to find that out uh, because there's nowhere to hide. Um, and I, Yeah, so I I pretty much straight after Athens decided I wanted to go in the single and uh, it wasn't a popular choice um, from New Zealand's point of view. Uh, They told me that, you know, effectively they weren't looking at a single skull and, um, you know, they still saw me in the four. So uh, initially I actually, uh, I I moved to the UK um, and I'd met um, this uh, British guy at... at, uh, at the party at the the Heineken House um, uh, in two thousand and four, and he just said to me, "You know, like just come to England, and you know you can train with me." And I was like, "Oh yeah, okay, um, that sounds sounds good." So, yeah, you know, when when things didn't really work out in New Zealand, I was like, "Right, I'm I'm off to the UK," and uh, I, I sort of looked them up and uh, showed up at Highway Scholars, and and that that ended up being Alan Campbell. Um, who, you know I was I was going to become one of my my good mates and and uh, great rivals. So I just showed up in the UK and uh, at Tideway Scholars and kind of said what I wanted to do. And Bill Barry, who was uh, Alan's coach, um, kind of took me under the wing and uh, and and yeah, spent a spent a well fair fair winter, our summer um, over there, um, which was was fantastic, but. Uh, you know, I, I, was, I was quite gung-ho, I guess. I said, you know, I'm I, I'm in the single. I want to be a, a champion in the single. And um, everyone at the club was kind of looking at me a bit funny. And uh, my first week, um, it was, uh, we were training on the, on the Thames, which, you know, it's, it's got a seven-meter tide. So it's got a lot of flow. And the first week, I fell in twice. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think they were sort of wondering, um, you know, who this, who this uh, upshot from New Zealand was. But, um, you know, at the, at the end of the summer, I, I had to come back to New Zealand and, and race and uh, to, to try to prove myself. And, um, you know, probably the national champs was, was the big occasion. And at that point, there was a, uh, a young 18-year-old um, kid from uh, down south, and uh, he actually led... Um, that national's final race uh until about the last two hundred and fifty meters when he uh he pretty much blacked out and and passed out because he pushed so hard and uh, and i I went past him there and and won the the national champs and and that was nathan Cohen um and you know that was down at twisel which is uh, considered a, a pretty slow course because it's uh, up in the mountains um it's the water's very cold um Around you know eight eight to ten degrees usually, uh, and I did a six fifty eight down there, which was uh, the course record at the time, and that was even faster than Rob had been down there. So um, you know that was the first time under seven minutes. And uh, but again, the selectors were like, "Well, if you've got an eighteen year old kid who's about to go to juniors that that can just about beat you, um, you know, we, we don't think you're you're good enough in the singles." So. Um, that was a, a, another fight, but eventually I got, um, I got selected, and, and then uh, it was, it was uh, you know, I, I guess the, the rest is kind of history, but um, I, was, I was thrown into uh, Dick Tonks as my coach with, uh, you know, training alongside the Evertswind Dale Twins. And, you know, it's, it's one of the, the keys, I guess, to my success um, throughout the years is, is having a, a training partner. And in most cases, a world class training partner, and you know I had the Olympic champions, uh, to to test myself every day, and you know the the world records at that time were was only about two seconds apart, and you know it was it was fantastic to, to have that gauge because I knew on a daily basis um, where I stood. And uh, in two thousand five, I can um, I can honestly admit that I never beat the ever Swindells in in any uh, session. Um, and most of the time, I was just trying to hang on, um, trying to, just trying to get through the workload, and and that was that was the hardest year of my life, um, training wise. Uh, you know, we were doing uh, around two hundred and forty k a week, um, and I'd come out of a four into a single, and uh, was was barely surviving. And I know, like Mondays, I would I'd be in my heart rate zones for about five to six hours um, because Monday was a big day and. Uh, then I wouldn't hit my zones again for the rest of the week. Um, it was just survival, trying to get through to Sunday so I could recover enough to, to do another big Monday. So, you know, it was, it was pretty tough. Um, and actually, yeah, probably uh, one of the things that almost saved me was uh, six weeks into, uh, I think it was about six, six seven weeks into that campaign, um, I got hit by a, uh, a water scare and I fractured my back. Um, and why that saved me is it gave me, Gave me a couple of weeks off, um, away from Dick, to try to let my body recover. And um, once I, I got back from that, then uh, yeah, then um, you know I uh, yeah just sort of went from strength to strength, and uh, got over overseas. Uh, first first uh, international race was a, a silver medal um, at, at the World Cup in Munich. and, and I beat Olaf Tofta, who was the Olympic champion. You know that was that was really, I guess. Uh, probably for the other guys, um, was the worst thing that could ever happen because that, that gave me then belief. And, uh, and, you know, I think from that moment, uh, I'm actually pretty proud of my record that, you know, I've, I've, uh, only finished outside the medals twice, um, uh, in any World Cups or World Championship race. And, um, you know, I've only got a couple of bronze medals. So most of them are, are gold and silvers from, from that moment on.
3: Yeah, you can definitely see on the the results sheet that, you know, straight in in 2005 there was there was your your intentions well well known, and not only in that race did you beat Olaf Twifter, but um, the only person to beat you there was Marcel Hacker. But you were also racing a big rival of yours uh, throughout the years, Andre Sinek, and you also beat uh, Václav Chalupa. So I think, you know, it seems like racing that regatta. I mean, it really puts you in a good place, and I'm sure. You know the the higher ups in New Zealand. Uh, you you made a really good argument for yourself, coming away with a, a medal in such a stacked such a stacked field.
4: Yeah, well, it was it was uh, as I said going into that, I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't didn't know like how good I could be, and then yeah, it was, it was a weird race. I, I still remember it because um, I, I kind of got to the second half and and you know it was, was sort of coming through the field and. And then I was, I was just, I couldn't quite believe where I was. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm up with these guys. These guys are, you know, the, the best in the world and, and I'm right here. So, you know, it gave me a massive amount of belief. And I was so happy and so excited. You know, that was my first ever medal uh, on the world stage. And, um, you know, just for it all to work out uh, like that was, was pretty magic. Um, and it's amazing how three weeks can change because uh, then we went to Lucerne and in Lucerne, I, I, raced, that was probably my, my best race up until that point. Um, and I led and I got passed in the last, um, hundred meters or so by, uh, Andre Sinek. And, uh, from two weeks earlier when a silver medal was, you know, the, the greatest result in the world, you know, three weeks later. And, and I was, bitterly disappointed with a silver medal. And, and that's just how expectations can change. And the reason I was so disappointed is because I felt I had done absolutely everything and, you know, I, I wasn't good enough. Um, you know, someone was, was better than me. Uh, and, you know, that was, that was a, a massive um, moment for me because, you know, I, I knew what I had to do and, and that even, where i was at i wasn't i wasn't good enough uh, to win and um probably the best thing that happened to me at that lucerne regatta is the Everswindell twins got beaten and they hadn't been beaten for uh about three or four years i think and you know why i say that was the best is because man they they got fired up after that and they just they just rose you know took the bar to another level and i just had to try to hang on and and uh you know, I, I think I improved. Um, you know, in in all the testing and stuff we've done, I improved about six seconds from that that World Cup uh, through to the World Champs. And um, you know, obviously that was in in Gifu and uh, went on to to win that one. And um, you know, that was that was a pretty special moment for New Zealand because uh, we won four four gold medals um, in in the small boats, and they were all in a uh, like race after race. So uh, I think the, the locals in Japan got sick of uh, hearing the national anthem, which was uh, was pretty special as a team.
2: Yeah, I think it was called like the. I even think I've I've even heard of about it. Like the Golden Hour when New Zealand was just like rolling in uh, race after race and just uh, cleaning it all up.
4: Yeah, it was it was it was pretty special. Like like sorry, just no, no, go <laughs> to on, go go uh, into that because you know we only we only had eleven athletes in uh, in Gifu in Japan. And seven of them became world champions with our men's four, so uh, also in the in the final. So you know it was it was pretty special in that group that you know we had such a tight net group and and so much success. Um, you know it was it was pretty awesome to, to be a part of, and and that in all honesty that's that's what started the run at right New Zealand because that also coincided with um, our our funding. Um, you know, basically, the <clears throat> from a national level, uh, that's when when the government were you know created what they called Spark back then, which was our um, you know our, our big funding body, and they that model was given on on success. Um, so rowing New Zealand from that day on uh, has been the the highest funded sport uh, from the government in New Zealand and. Um, you know that's that's allowed us to do everything we we have, and and I guess you know just just timing, um, you know, was was fantastic from from our sport.
2: Yeah, I think that's oh, that's really awesome to to hear you speak about that. And also, I think a lot of people forget that like the results often have to come first. They mm. think that the, the 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 money gives the results, yeah. um, whereas most countries that have big funding, it's because of they went teams went through hard times earlier on and and managed to get results and then those results resulted in better funding yeah. and and the the systems that we see today
4: yeah and, and that was it was a completely different time you know i think back as to you know what we were doing you know we got no money at all uh where most of us had to work um or you know i i was very lucky my grandma um was my biggest sponsor and um, you know, she gave me $200 a week and that was just enough for me to, to pay my rent and, and survive in, in those times. Um, I remember in, in, uh, Athens, we got given 10 grand, um, towards our costs. And most of our trips, we actually had to contribute to, to go uh, to pay for. And, you know, we coming from New Zealand, we, we used to traveling, we have to travel. But, you know, back in those days, um, in our, our big training blocks, um, we would go and, and live at Um And I don't know if you've trained there, but uh, we were out in the, the little chalets um, and eating at the course. And, you know, you, you go back and you go, man, that was just not a, a high-performance yeah. sort of system. But but that's all we knew. There was no internet in those days. Um, you know, it was, it was just a, a very, very strange time. Um, you know, and then I remember the... the they got a computer at, um, at haswinkle and then you could go and check your emails. But um, you know that was that was the, the there was no Wi-Fi or anything like that. Um, I remember in Japan actually that was the first time that we'd seen Wi-Fi, and we we're like, wow, this is amazing. Um, so yeah, it is it is amazing how much things have changed in in the last few years. Um, but yeah, we certainly did did it without any money, um, and you know it was it was great. I guess that. That everyone that was there was doing it for the love of it and um, you yeah, I think that that was a, a great basis for a team because uh, you know we knew what it what it took w- without money and once money came and we could just do things that much better and and you know we it was then more around you know the people that could afford or, or you know had the passion to do it you could build a whole program and that's when we started getting the you know the the program with with juniors under 23s and and across the board, that success.
3: Yeah, um, I must say, your I'm sure your grandmother must have been over the moon when you became a world champion in 2005 uh, to see that her investment paid off quite well.
4: Yeah, she was. You know, she was a, a fantastic supporter, and uh, you know, it was it was pretty special. I'm still, you know, gratefully indebted to her uh, for everything she did for me because, you know that that $200 was the difference between you know me having to go out and and work sort of 20 hours a week or um, you know, I, I could just do sort of odd jobs and, and pick up little bits of work. But, um, you know, that was that was being – to be able to do it round rowing rather than, uh, you know, to, to actually survive each week, which which was fantastic. Yeah,
2: yeah it's so important. Um, I want to go back, though, a little bit to the training. And, and I mean, you touched on training with the Everson Dulls under Dick Tonks. And we wanted to know when – like, because obviously you said you had some uh, friction with the New Zealand um, – team going into the single and then when did Dick Tong start coaching you and and yeah and how was that um how was that going into that relationship
4: yeah so it was it was interesting I guess so the um I I had troubles getting selected in the single but as soon as I I got named in the single uh, I I was coached by Dick Tong he he chose okay. to coach me um and you know that was you know it made sense because you know obviously that that training environment with the its windows um but you know it's it's incredibly tough under deck uh, you never know what you're doing or or you know from session to session day to day um so yeah it was it was pretty pretty uh yeah it was a, a pretty rough uh, start i guess um you know just just cranking up the Ks and and you know it was it was about survival but um the thing with Dick Tonks, is, you know, if you can survive his program, uh, there's a very good chance you're you're going to be successful. So, um, you know, that was that was what it was all about. And you know, it's obviously, as soon as I had been selected in the the team, um, and then uh, the success started to come, then there was no no ever question marks again. Um, you know, I was, I was fully supported, and um, yeah, those haven't really had had too many issues with. Uh, was right, I knew Since
2: So then going into, into like training, yeah. you're saying like, if you could survive Dick Tonks, then you were, you were going to have performance and, and have the, the speed that you, that you knew you need. And like from our side, we are obviously only seeing the athletes that have survived yeah. and are performing extremely well. Yeah, and, and
3: those are, for, those are incredible athletes. Yeah.
2: So were there lots of athletes that like were not coping or was it kind of, Oh,
3: for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, there's um, you know, yeah there's, there's a lot of people that, that got sped out along the way and um you know that's it's it's a hard one because um yeah you know what what do you do um you know are you looking yeah and and you know I, I, I don't know the the answer whether we've we got it right or whether we got it wrong but um you know there was potentially other athletes that, that maybe would have made it under another coach, but just couldn't handle the, the grind. Um, you know, because we're, we're a very aerobic um, kind of miles make champion program and uh, it's, it's incredibly tough. Uh, if you, if you're, you know, your body's not uh, conditioned for that sort of training, then, um, you know, you, you're always going to, going to struggle. But you know, I think that, the, the programme that we, we do that that makes us, um, you know, we would be some of the fittest athletes in the world. Um, and you just, you can see that with all the, especially the distance ergs and, and things like that. Um, how many records are held by New Zealanders um, and a lot of the best ergs aren't even listed. Um, you know, it's probably only the last few years that, that the ergs have started to be put up. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what that gets you. And, and from that, I, I believe that's what gets you consistency as well. And if you look at all the top crews, um, you know, they've always done well and very rarely will they, um, you know, even be in a B final. Uh, they're, they're always there, thereabouts. And um, that's just because you've got so much fitness that even on a bad day, you you can kind of blag your way through through a race. And I know I've, I've, won medals when uh, you know I've been rowing like absolute crap but um, you know it's just just literal fitness uh, sort of getting you through so you know it, it's definitely one way to do it um, it's it's not the only way but um, you know it's something I, I very much believe in and um, you know has has been the basis for our, our successes as a country.
3: Yeah of course and I think you know just to to add on that I think you know the harsh reality is that you know rowing is intrinsically by itself a brutal sport at any sort of level compared to maybe, you know, if you put in a similar effort into another endeavor, rowing is going to be just on its own way harder. And then I think if you take if you take the fact that, you know, Dick Tonks is obviously selecting athletes and, and training people to be the best in the world at an Olympic stage, winning races on your worst day, not just your best day, I think that's going to lead to uh, an incredibly harsh environment but and i uh, almost want to say it's a necessary environment to to get the kind of um, results necessary because you definitely you, you you can't just you know rock up you were saying earlier you can't just rock up at the olympic final and then decide on that day that you want to win a gold medal you have to decide four years in the process that you want to win and then be be prepared to go to you know those dark places to put in the work that will give you the opportunity to win in the first place
4: yeah for sure and and you know, I, I think that you know that's that's definitely what i've learned um is hard work is is the key to it and you know the great thing about rowing is the harder you work the better you get um you know and that that's a really nice thing you know there's, there's other sports you know but that involve a lot of, um, you know, I guess, skill and, and things like that, and and it's not just about working hard, um, you know, to improve. And uh, you know, throughout my career, I've just seen seen those improvements, and that that's really rewarding. Um, you know, it's it's not it's it's not easy though, and and um, you know, I've I've had some pretty dark moments, but I guess the the great thing about Dick as well is, is we we just loved racing because uh, racing we knew the pain would only last for seven minutes. Um, you know, and, and we'd been through sessions that were way harder than that. You know, some of our sessions, you know, three hours long, um, you know, doing effectively race-paced pieces for three hours, just your body's just, you know, shutting down and, um, you know, you've run out of food, you've run out of water because you didn't know how long the session was going to go for and even how many pieces you're going to do. So, you know, that was that was always the thing we always, we always loved getting to regattas because that was our time that we could actually uh, relax and and enjoy it, uh, knowing that that the pain was only going to last for a very short period of time. And I know it was one of the things we we sort of mentioned as a team. We were sitting on the on the start line, just just knowing that um, you know this this was the fun part, um, and you know it was it was only going to hurt for a finite period and. Um, that we're pretty certain that no one else in on that start line had been through what we had been through to, to get there. So, um, you know, it gives you a lot of confidence.
2: Yeah, it's it's really amazing. And, I mean, I loved, because uh, we, when we spoke to, to Eric Murray, mm. basically he said exactly the same, same thing, thing, that yeah. when he was on the start line, he just knew that no one no one uh, in the boats next to him had, had managed to train so hard and that uh, that they were always the fittest people on the start line.
4: Quite yeah, that's Going and back, that, And that's oh, why
2: you uh, see that third 500, I think. Yeah, and yeah. Ac- it was actually in our notes about uh, New Zealand, like just kind of so generally dominant. always have a really, really good third 500. So, um, and the, you're, you're just uh, touching on it and, and explaining why New Zealand have such a good f- uh, third 500. But going back to, to the racing, um so obviously you've come into the Skull, and you've had uh, an amazing start uh, into your sculling journey, and you 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 become world champion three years in a row, and then uh, moving into the, the Beijing Olympics as the maybe as a favorite. And and I mean, obviously, through our, through our research, we saw that you definitely didn't have the easiest Olympic Games in in Beijing. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, how how that was, and 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 getting sick, and and then still managing to to get onto the start line.
4: Yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting year I guess for me um 2008 because you know I have have a a real um yeah, just mixed emotions I guess. Uh obviously um you know going into 2008 I I was very much where I I you know said I was going to be after Athens and that was you know the next Olympics I want to be here and I want to be in a position to win and I definitely felt like I I was there um you know, three world championships under my belt, uh, the world best time in, in the skull. Um, and, uh, you know, the the year was a, an interesting one because Rob Waddell uh, came back um, from sailing and, and had another crack. And uh, we had a, you know, a, a big showdown at our trials, um, you know, where, where it was a best of three series. And, you know, that is still one of the, the toughest um I don't know, you know where we say regatta or um trials of of my life and um you know both physically and and mentally because i've never i've never had to do that at any point in my, in my career where you've you know you've had to back up three races in three days um and you know like even at a world cup or or whatever you know i I can get through the world cups you know the heat you're sort of you know maybe ninety ninety percent. Um, you know the the quarterfinal you you get up to sort of ninety five ninety six percent you know the the semifinal you might be at ninety eight percent and then, then you have that one like flat out race in the final where you 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 put a hundred percent into it but you know that trial against rob it was you know 100 percent hundred percent hundred percent and um yeah so in, in the end uh, he ended up uh, in that third race with, uh, arterial fibrillation and um, you know it was uh, so yeah, it, was, it was pretty much uh, like it was ended up being a fairly easy race um, but um, you know it was not, not obviously you're not expecting that at all um, and then uh, yeah so, so getting to the games, um, I was in in pretty good uh, pretty good shape um, but uh, I got sick um at the Olympics, and and yeah, you know, that was really hard. I raced my heat; I was I was all good. Uh, then I got a stomach bug, and um, you know, I lost lost five kilos. Um, and you know, it was it was not the the end of the world. In the fact that the sickness, uh, it was it was really just a, a dehydration thing more than anything. Um, so uh, I. You know, I, I raced the the quarterfinal, and and that was the first time I knew I was I was in a bit of trouble. Um, I actually won that quarterfinal, but uh, I got to the end. I was just I was just vomiting, um, and just just you know, it, basically you know, you're trying to make it look like you've you've had an easy race. And as I was saying just before, you, know, you, you quarterfinals, you don't want to be sort of at a hundred percent, and and I wasn't for most of the race, but that last sort of five hundred, it hit me, and and just battled through. Um, and yeah, as I say, finished uh, what looked like a fairly easy win, but but then I was vomiting and and uh, yeah, was was in pretty bad bad shape. So, um, and and the problem was is, is I'd sort of improve after a racing, I'd, I'd you know to have a couple of bad days as a as it sort of started to recover. Then I'd start to improve, and, and then just the way the schedule worked it was every couple of days I'd race, and every time I raced, it really knocked me down a peg. So, uh after the, the semi-final, um, I was really in trouble. And again, I, I led that race um, coming into the 500 metres and uh, that last 500, I just, I've never hit the wall like I did there. Um, you know, starting to see stars and, and don't remember too much about the last couple of hundred metres of that race. And, and in the end, I, I finished third in that semi and only just made the final. Um, There's, was, uh, I think I had Five seconds on the, the Greek guy, I think that was fourth. And uh, I had like 0.4 of a second or something on him at, at the final. So, you know, that's sort of, I guess, a, a gauge of, of how much it was done to affect me. And after that, um, you know, the medical teams really, uh, really sort of kicked in and were like, okay, we, we've got to try to sort this out. Um, and so I went, we were staying out by the, the course, but um, I, I got shifted back to the village. Um, was uh, on IVs and um, and all sorts of, of things just trying to get me get my strength back and the night before the final I moved back to our team hotel um, I would put all my weight back on uh, I was actually feeling really good again um, so yeah I made the decision to to move back to the team hotel um, but unfortunately that night I had a bit of a, a relapse and I lost five kilos over that night so I woke up on the morning of the final and uh, was not not in physical, uh, you know, great shape. But um, again, I, I was given the option to go back to the village um, to um, you know have some more medical treatment before the final. And um, you know, in hindsight, it was probably a, a bad call on my part uh, not doing that. Um, but uh, I decided, you know, that that I wouldn't, um, and that you know I'd, I'd find a way through that race and. You know I, I knew I knew I had to be a little bit careful and and in the final it's sort of what I did I, very much that first K um, you know I tried to tried to keep it um, you know just just within my limits um, I actually felt quite good at the K and and uh, you know did did quite a quite a big third 500 um, where I took the lead and um, you know got got quite a good lead actually Uh and with 500 to go, I still felt good. Um, you know, I thought, I'm, I've, you know, this is good. I'm, I'm all good. And about 250, again, I just completely hit the wall. And, um, again, I, I don't remember that last 100 metres. Uh, I didn't know where I'd finished at the end. Um, and, you know, I was, I was pretty stoked to win a medal. But I guess out of all that, um, you know, I was – you know it was a, it was an olympic medal uh, which was was fantastic but it was below um what i wanted to achieve and and that was the gold um you know i always aimed for that and and you know i felt like it was it was disappointing um you know not to get that but in saying that um you know i was that was that was all i had on that day um and there was two guys that were better than me and and that was a uh, I guess a really hard lesson to learn, um, but it was something that, that uh, potentially was the, the catalyst that set me up for the, the next two Olympics. And, um, you know, probably the, the you know, while that was, was really hard to deal with at the time, um, once I sort of went and, and you know, I was completely honest and never used the illness as the um, reason that I lost, because uh, had I used that as an excuse, um, I probably would have never done what I did uh, throughout my career. But I wanted to know what I had to do to win because you know, illness, injury, those sort of things happen. And, and if, if you, you aren't able to deal with them, then um, you know, you, you're never going to succeed. And you know, unfortunately, that's, that's the brutality of sport. You've got to show up at a given time on a given day and you've got to perform no matter what, what's going on. Um, outside of that so you know that that was really I I guess um, you know something that that lived with me um, a lot after Beijing and uh, actually at that time Dick was not coaching me um, which again was was potentially a little bit of an error um, on my behalf Uh, and you know there was there was a lot of things that that when I Went back and looked at it, that I realised that that I could have been better in Beijing, and and that that was really hard to live with. But it also gave me, you know, some some goals. And uh, one of those people I spoke to was Dick. I just went and sat down to him and said, "Look, Dick, why did I lose in Beijing?" Um, and he just, you know, did some little stickboard figures Well, you were doing this. You were doing this, you know, and um, you know if you had have done this, you you would have been, you know, you probably would have won. And and that was. Um, it was really frustrating. And, and, you know, I was just like, man, you could have told me that kind of three months ago and it, it could have been quite useful to me. And he said, well, yeah, you know, I wasn't your coach. It wasn't my, my kind of responsibility. So, you know, that, that, I guess, you know, showed me that I, you know, had to, you know, if, if I wanted to be the best, I, I needed to work with him again, even though it was hard working with him. So um, that's what I did. And, uh you know, through that, that learning process, I guess, over that, that sort of three months post-Beijing, um, I set a lot more goals. Um, there was all the things that, that I could work on. And, and there was a massive shift for me in my mentality. And up until that point, uh, I had been aiming to be the best in the world. And I was the best in the world, I believe, going into to Beijing. But... The difference was, is being the best in the world uh, was great on a good day, but on a bad day, you needed to be better than that. And, you know, that that those conversations, I guess, I had, I learned uh, about myself that um, while I was the best in the world, I wasn't the best I could possibly be. Um, and that was, a, you know, a, a really big uh, difference because, you know, I could have pushed myself further. Um, there was things I could have done better. I could have rode technically better, et cetera, et cetera. And had I done all those things, um, you know, potentially I I could have been sick in Beijing um, and I could have still won. So, you know, that was really the the, the mentality shift. And uh, I think 2009 was a, a pretty um, good indication of that um, because I went out and I took, um, you know, two seconds off my my world best time um, and, and went that year unbeaten. And, um, you know, that was really the the start of that whole process. And, uh, you know, as I say, it set me up because from there, things really went downhill. 2010, I spent most of a year out of the boat um, with a, a back injury. Um, you know, I only had probably in the whole year, I probably trained for three months um, and still won a silver medal at the World Champs. The following year, um, you know, I went to, to bled, um, did a lot of cycling instead of uh rowing twice a day, um, just because my back couldn't handle it. Um, you know, and, and I had a bike crash the day before the, the heat at, at the World Champs. Um, thankfully I only pulled a groin muscle but I went on and won that one and and then uh you know, went through to London everything was looking great. Um and then I had a bike crash. Six weeks out from that, and did an AC joint in my shoulder, and um, yeah, you know, I was out of the boat for three weeks, um, and only got back into the boat with a cortisone injection. Um, you know, that that That's... I was suffering through that right that... through London, and um, yeah, it was it was pretty tough. But yeah, you know, probably probably the, the time <laughs> I noticed that the most was at the end of that race in London. I celebrated, and I put my arms above my my head, and you can see in the photo my right arm slightly lower than my left arm. And, uh, and as soon as I put my arms up, I was like, oh, that
0: hurts. Um, yeah. So,
4: you know, but but I guess, you know, I, I still credit Beijing um, and what I learned there with, with meaning that I was able to overcome all those things leading into London and, and still win, um, even though I wasn't necessarily at my physical best um, just because of, of what I've been through. So, it's,
2: it's quite a theme, I think, for New Zealand. Like, you know, a big race coming up Let's go and uh, do something dangerous Mike. on the bike and uh, and and hurt myself.
4: <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully we're that's behind us. <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: Um. So I mean, you you took us right through there to to 2012. But I'm you know just looking. I mean, you, you spoke about 2010 being uh, getting that injury. But I wanted to go a little bit into 2010. 2010 must have been a tough year, and I hate to be getting into the badger, but. I got a it must have been a tough one uh losing out at Piro in 2010 to to Andre Sinek. That must have been a, a difficult race as well to to come off with a second because I am sure you must have been uh really really looking forward to winning on on home ground.
4: Yeah, it was. Um you know, like I, I'm not going to lie, winning at home would have been a, an absolute dream. Um and you know, that was very much where where I hoped to be. I I guess um with the year I had, uh, you know, in the end, I was I was pretty stoked uh, to be where I was, um, you know, considering what I'd done, and and uh, it was it was again, it was kind of a, a weird one because um, three weeks out of from the world champs, if you had have said to me, um, you know, you, you're going to get a medal there, I would have taken it uh, because things weren't going well. Um, I was I was uh, you know not. I was not fit. I was not, um, you know, just just hadn't hadn't been able to train, uh, you know, nearly to to the level that I'd, I'd wanted to, and and was struggling all year. So, um, you know, as I say, three weeks out. But in that last three weeks, um, just everything sort of started to come together, uh, and you know, there was there were some some glimpses of of I guess you know where I'd been. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I went into the the world champs actually. Pretty confident, um, which again you look back, you go, "There's no reason to be confident." But yeah. um, you know, it was a, it was a, an awesome experience, and um, you know, to, to race at home, the support we had, the the crowds were just phenomenal, and um, yeah, it was disappointing to, to uh, end up with a silver, but um, you know I guess in, in perspective, just knowing what I'd been through, and it, it certainly again, it, it gave me a lot of confidence. I was like, "Man, I've I've barely trained this year," and. Yeah, you know, I've come away with a silver medal. So, um, you know, I, I know I've just got to get back to the training. And if I can do that, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident going forward.
3: And um, just that leads me, least leads us on to the next question. I uh, just wanted to ask, so, I mean, when I look at your results, what you've done in single is, you know, I don't think many people have reached that kind of level of elitism in the sport. But, you know, there is, when we speak to our guests, there's always rivalries and always interesting relationships that you can kind of gauge when you watch races when you look at the results sheets that you can see that there are certain athletes that you keep popping up against each other and definitely when I look at you the Andre Sinek is definitely the the person that is, has got the most successful results racing against you overseas and season maybe chat a bit about you know your your relationship and rivalry with Andre and also maybe talk about you know was there anyone out there that you you felt nervous sitting next to you at the start line or someone that you 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 sh- thought, Oh shit, I have to race this guy again. He's he pulls some crazy things in, you know, the last five hundred and, and whatnot.
4: Um, yeah, I, I think you've you've nailed it straight away. Like Andre Sinek was, was has been and, and is my biggest rival um, throughout my career and you know, like basically uh, between me and him we've we've shared every um, you know, major championship in, until the, the last couple of years. Um, so you know, it's it's uh, it, it's been a a great rivalry. Um, I think we've we've pushed each other to levels, um, you know that you know that both of us probably uh, have gone further than than we ever expected we we could do. Um, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's a very friendly rivalry. Um, I know initially uh, it was it was pretty hard because. He was very limited uh, in, in English, and my Czech is, is non-existent. So, um, you know, it was, it was pretty hard to communicate. But um, over the years, uh, he's, he's now a very, very good uh, uh, English speaker. And um, you know, we, yeah, we've, we've had some some great times together. And uh, you know, we've we've wrote uh, in the Great eights uh, over the years. So, you know, it. it it is awesome to to have those rivalries, but then, you know, the, the friendships as well. Um, and I I think that's something that, that is definitely, uh, during my time in the single, um, you know, those friendships are strong and, you know, Olaf Tuft is one of my, my best mates. Um, you know, Alan Campbell, uh, very, very close to, and, um, you know, it it has been, um, you know, Lassie Karen and, and, uh, um, Tim Maines, you know, that they're all, all, uh, you know, great guys and, uh, you know, got on, got on really well. So, um, you know, it, it, is, it is nice. So I think uh, in the single, you are isolated. And I would say that was the, the biggest change from being in the four. Um, you know, you, you've got your, your mates around you you, you. you don't rely on anyone else. Um, whereas in the single, you know, it is you, but, you know, you're in the boat park, you're, you're around these people um and and you know you you just yeah you you just sort of end up connecting I, I guess you you understand each other very well um because you you know what what it takes to to be a single scholar and you know it's it's, it's pretty tough so um you know it has been great to to have those those friendships um yeah I mean obviously the last few years the there's, there's guys like Damir um Martin as well come into it so um a lot of those guys actually uh have been out here to New Zealand and. Um, come to visit and uh, i've been to to their home countries and and trained alongside them so you know it is it is great to to have those those relationships and and that really makes a, a massive difference in in sport um and and something that that i've really loved um you know talking about people that that scare you um probably uh well obviously andre uh he was the guy that that i knew that you know i, I had to always be at my best and um, interestingly, you know, through races, you just know, uh, you know, where the strengths and weaknesses are, and and you know, he always had a, a strong last five hundred. So I knew that I needed to to get a lead um, in that third five hundred if I was going to beat him. And um, you know, that London race was a was an interesting one because uh, going into that um, last two fifty, you know, I, I knew if I if I had a length or more, um, I backed myself. Uh, if it was half a length I you know I knew it was pretty touch and go and it was about three quarters of a length so it was kind of anyone's race and I remember him I was pretty cooked um you know going into that last 250 um because you know we'd, we'd sort of dragged out the field I guess as, as we were sort of going toe to toe with each other and then he kind of lifted at the 250 and I was like oh no like I don't know if I've got enough to go again and um, I just tried to hold him off, hold him off. It was eight strokes. And, uh, and he took a look around it and he hadn't made too much of an impression. And that was the moment I knew that I'd, I'd won that Olympic final. Um, and then I had still had 20 odd strokes to go. And I, I thought of 20 different ways I could stuff it up. I actually had a really dodgy stroke, about 100 to go. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was quite an interesting sort of, but you'll see the rest of the field all coming back at us. And that was because we were just getting slower and slower as we're actually approaching that line rather than faster and faster. And, um, you know, the, the other guy that, that sort of scared you was Marcel Hacker. And, you know, he was an incredibly talented scholar, um, But you just never knew what you were going to get from him. Um, you know, like there's the 2006 race. And, you know, he went out hard and said, oh, yeah, it's Marcel, you know. And then looked at thousand and he... He was still kind of three lengths up, and I was just like, oh man, this is, <laughs> is going to take the mauling back. Um, so, yeah, he was he was just so unpredictable. But, um, you know, as soon as you lined up against him, you knew you were in for a tough day. Um, you know, Tufts was, was usually the same. And, um, you know, there's plenty of other um, talented people around. But I definitely say Andre's been my, my biggest rival and, uh, you know, the, the guy to beat most of the time I've been out there.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes in the single it's like uh because maybe because the boat's a bit slower, you know, there's a lot of like kind of tactics as well. And like sometimes you don't really see someone's true form until that final because they maybe haven't uh, you know, given given too much away in the in the quarterfinal, semifinal, and then and then the the tactics really do play a big part and people can uh can do some some crazy stuff in the in the finals and but going into that, I mean, you touched on the on the 2012 race, and I mean, that must have really been a, an awesome regatta for you, you, know, to come through your your last two Olympics, stepping up, stepping up, and but still not having that Olympic Games where you like that was the the way it was executed, the way I'd planned to to execute it, and then to to finally have a regatta where kind of everything fell into place, and you and you managed to have your your best race at the the time when it counted. Uh, that must have been a, a really really cool and and awesome moment for you
4: yeah it was and and you know it's as i said it's always hard to you know be on at that time at that day um you know that, that really counts and obviously uh, having that bike crash 6 weeks out um you know that was that was pretty tough because the preparation was definitely um you know I guess disrupted, but in um, saying that, uh, at that time of year, you know, you've you've done most of the hard work, and it, it just sort of that icing on the cake. So, um, going into London, I was I was a little bit nervous um, just because I hadn't, you know, I'd, I'd had that sort of disrupted last six weeks. But um, you know, as, as I went through the the uh, the days, it, things were going pretty well. Um, racing was going well, and. Uh, i 'm not someone that suffers from nerves, but i I remember um the morning of that race. I was just nervous as hell, and interestingly, that was probably the most i've ever i've ever thought about Beijing um was that week of of the olympics and and the reason I was thinking about it is I was like, man, I wish I had a one in Beijing that would have taken a lot of pressure off here um because I knew, you know, you, you only get one or two opportunities where you can show up to an Olympics in a position to win and you've got to make the most of those because um, you may never get another one. And so, you yeah, know, that was, that was really where the pressure came from. And uh, as I said, I don't usually get nervous, but I was, I was throwing up the morning of that final. I was, um, you know, just, just nervous as hell. Had an absolutely terrible warm-up. Um, the boat wasn't going well and it was just, I just couldn't get it together. Um, and, you know, we got into the start blocks and as soon as that buzzer went, you know, it was just, that was, that was the great, the greatest part of my day, um, was when that, that start, um, you know, at the start and we we're into the race and I was like, this is, this is, this is it. Um, this is what I've been working for. And, um, you know, I had a good race uh, it was, uh, exactly kind of as I planned it, um, you know, Dick had had told me that you know I, I needed to um, reserve something for the sprint, um, but I guess the way the race developed in the middle, but um, you know, I, I kind of banked that if 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 I cooked myself, I'd cook Sinek as well, um, and that's why I said I was a little bit nervous at that sort of two fifty to go because um, when he sort of started to take it up, I thought, "Oh man, have I ever not cooked him?" Um, but yeah, thankfully, I had so. You know, it was it was sort of that was probably the only the only varying thing. I you know, I was, I was gonna save something for the sprint, but um, I didn't and uh, and and it worked out thankfully.
3: Yeah, I mean that's it's awesome to hear and, and like I think going forward this is definitely I mean, speaking about your your racing with Andre Sinek, when we look at as at, as you progress towards the you know, the twenty sixteen Olympic campaign, you know, moving forward you know, you definitely stayed on that stride, but it seemed like it was a little bit trickier going into 2016 because at world Ch- at the world champs, you know, in 2014 and 2015, you came you came second, and Cynic was uh, the world champion of those years in incredible form. So maybe I'm interested to listen to you know your your you know, we've spoken about your mindset and, and whatnot going into London. I'm interested to, to hear um, you know after looking at those you know 2014 2015 years. How was your mindset, and um, what was what was your your feelings going towards? You know the the, the racing in Rio. Um, I'm sure it must have been uh, you know different uh, you know different sort of sensation considering the you know the World Champs had not gone as well as I'm sure you had hoped.
4: Yeah, it was it was interesting. I guess um, yeah, you know, I, I had a, a year off um, in two thirteen, uh, and. You know, so, so I guess it it took me a while, um, coming back. Um, and, you know, 2014, I I got into pretty good shape. Um, you know, it was, it was really a, um, yeah, like, like 2014, I I was annoyed, um, because, uh, it was obviously Amsterdam. Um, and, yeah, I, I faced hacker in the, um, in the semi-final and it was rough as guts. Um, and he had, uh, yeah, he had, he had, uh, well, the, the basically it was coming across the course, the wind and, and he was, Oh, I was one lane outside him and, and he, he just put me in. And that gave me a, uh, a pretty poor lane in the final, um, and you know that was that was just disappointing. I guess um, you know whenever you get these unfair conditions um, in these races, that it, it's it's pretty annoying. You know, and you know again, I, I felt like I raced well in Amsterdam, but Andre was was you know an, another level above. But um, <clears throat> so I, I guess going out of that, you know, I, I was I was pleased in, in some ways, but you know, just a little bit annoyed um, to to put myself in that position. Um, of not having the the lane that that I should have because I, I hadn't won my my semi final, um, 2015 was interesting because I actually had a really good year. Um, you know, won the World Cup uh, and you know went into the into Egg Um and I, I I can't I can't tell you what happened um, in that first cave because I, I still don't quite know, but I just I just wasn't quite um I just wasn't quite on and uh, you know I, I kind of got to the K and I was, I was down by a lot um, and uh, you know it was it was frustrating because you know I just just it just was one of those days that just didn't things didn't quite flow um, but going into that I was in in just such good form and um, it really it really annoyed me because um, you know I, I felt like that was my race to, to lose. And, uh, and, you know, I pretty much, uh, you know, gave, gave the race to Cynic in that first K. And then suddenly the second K, it, it all sort of started to, to come back together. And um, I've actually got a, I'm looking right now at a, a picture on my wall, um, which is showing the sprint. And, you know, it was, it was a very, very tight finish between the two of us in, in the end um, because I came right back into the race and, um, you know, we were, we were next to each other. Uh, for that that last 100 but you know i've i've got that picture on my wall because um you know it, it was it was a reminder i guess to me that um you know you you, you need to to be on and um so i, I kind of went out and I, I felt like 215 was the one that got away um i felt like that should have been you know i was i was in the form to win that race um and and i i stuffed it up um you know obviously that was was uh, there to take advantage of that but um you know i felt like i i should have won that race if if i hadn't have um you know rode the way i did and uh, i guess that that was quite a big motivator going into 216 um and you know again in, in 216 it was it was uh you know i had a, a pretty good year going right through um and i uh, i got to the uh The Olympics, um, you know, in in pretty good form. And and as I said, in London, I was just nervous as hell. And Rio had exactly the opposite. And, um, you know, I I had a good week. Um, Everything went well. I even got the weather. Um, You know, there was that that morning, uh, was it the heat, I think? Um, You know, and that was the day that got rough as hell. Um, but my race was the second race of the morning, and my race was, was pretty much flat calm. Um, I raced raced my race, and I was coming back, and I was doing the warm down, and it just blew up. And I was I was watching these crews come down, just thinking, man, I got lucky there. Um, but on the on the flip side, I, got, I actually I was in the warm down, and I got blown onto the the boys, and like in the warm down lane, and and my oar got put underneath the boy line. And I couldn't, I couldn't get free of it, and I ended up having to get rescued <laughs> by one of the uh, the, the uh, rescue boats because uh, I just couldn't get off this buoy line, and because um, you know, I had my oar underneath it, and uh, yeah, anyway, it was, yes, it was, uh, and I, I nearly fell in there, and I was really like, funny. man, <laughs> I nearly fell in in the warm down, and these guys are trying to race in it, so yeah, that was that was pretty crazy. Yeah.
2: Um, the warm down and warm oh, up lanes are like. Uh, Lanes they're like connected, they're not just like single boys, yeah. Like that rope between, and I know. And those poor guys you were watching race down the track it was myself and uh, and my pair's partner trying to survive <laughs> in this <laughs> most outrageous crosswind I ever rode in,
4: yeah. Well, well, I was trying to survive in the warm down lane and not doing a good job, so yeah. um, uh, <laughs> yeah, certainly. Oh, I, I think it was a there's a picture of you of Jeffy Stone, um, uh, that got. Sort of widely publicised, and you, you pretty much just see yeah, you can't see the moors and a person, and yeah, the boat's kind of underwater, and you're just like, man, like it's, it's not it's not ocean rowing. It's um yeah, supposed to be supposed to be flat water. So yeah, it was it was a, a good week, and and it was interesting. I remember just sitting in the start, and uh, you know Rio was just you know looking up at Christ the Redeemer at the start. Um, yeah, it was just absolutely beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah, and um,
3: beautiful. Uh, it was a beautiful course.
4: And I just remember sitting in that, that start at the final, um, just, yeah, really confident in myself. And I was like, you know, I, I literally sat there and I was like, I'm the only guy on this field that knows how to win one of these. And, um, you know, it gave me a a lot of confidence and man, that was a, a crazy race in itself. Um, you know, I, I thought I had a fairly good start, but, um, you know, both, uh, Andre and, and uh, Demir just got a kind of flyer and, uh, you know, came back through the race. And then actually that third 500, you know, I went from being sort of a length down to a length in front. And um, no, I thought... Your, your third
3: 500 is, in that race was, I think, you can see throughout your career you've had strong third 500s. But, I mean, I have watched I watched that race a few times today just to refresh the memory. But, wow, you really... You, I mean, I, I, I saw where you were in the 1K... And even now, after knowing the results, I still thought I was like, "Yo, Maya is quite down here. Demiers looks like he's having the rest of his life. Andres is looking good." And then you just came through so flippin' well in that, uh, that third five hundred, and you set yourself up um, really well for that last five hundred.
4: Yeah, well, it was it was interesting because I, you know, I, again, I, I guess I was a little bit surprised that I wasn't as like I was a little bit further down than I expected. Um, at that, like at the K, you know, I always expect to be down a bit at the five hundred. But um, yeah, with Demir and, and Andre going at it, it just just meant that, that I was a, a little bit further down at the K. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just gonna I'm gonna put it all in here, um, and yeah, it, it went well. And, and about fifteen hundred, I thought, oh, this is <laughs> this is turning pretty much into a direct replica of London. And oh, I was like, you know, grace. I just just got to yeah bury myself here, and then. Um yeah, Demir surprised me to be honest. Uh, you know, he he just just hang in there, hung in there and I, I didn't think he would he would uh, be able to keep that pace and, and then he you know, I looked at about fifty metres to go and I was like, Man, he's I think he's in front of me and um yeah, then it was you know, I was I was pretty spent by that stage and uh but just you know, I just put in as, as many strokes as I could, um, as quickly as I could and as we, you know, the rest, I guess, is history. Is you know, th- those sort of races, that's not, that's that's luck. Um, you know, and and you know, I, I still, you know, and and this is genuine. I I still, you know, wonder whether they should have separated that. Um, you know, I would have been happy to, to share that with the mayor because you know, I think when it comes that close, and you just know what what it would be like on the other side. Um you know, you, you just, yeah, I guess there's, there's a lot of things you've just got to take into account. And, you know, was the start where they, you know, where we lined up absolutely accurately? Are those boots, you know, like millimetres um, accurate? And if they are, well, okay, you can separate it. But, you know, I know in swimming, you know, they, they won't separate it past a hundredth of a second because they they say, well, when concrete dries, you know, one of side of the pool could be a couple of, you um, centimeters shorter or longer than the other side and and therefore you know that's a hundred a thousandth of a second so anyway that that was uh it was a it was a weird finish i guess because we finished both of us didn't know what had happened um
3: and i mean you guys were you talking about a hundredth of a second that was a thousand those were thousands of seconds separating you guys and i'm just even now i'm interested to know if you wake up with the night sweats thinking about that race <laughs>
4: I don't because I won. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. You yeah. Know, I think yeah, like, and that's why I say I I know what it would be like to come out on the wrong side of that. Um, you know because you know you, you, whenever you finish a tight race, you think of all the like, oh, if, if only I did this, or you know, what if I had have just done that, or that maybe I should have you know just yeah. just lifted it, you know, one stroke earlier or, w- or whatever. You know that that's the difference and. You know that that is always hard to to live with, and um, interestingly, at the end of that race, that it was about ninety seconds, I think, between when we finished and then when the result came up. Um, You know, I was I just thought about my race and I thought, yeah, I'm I'm proud of that race. It was it was a good one. Um, You know, whatever the result is, the result, and um, you but but when it came up that I I had the gold medal, I was like, you know, fantastic, but. It was it was it was weird. It was it was still very confusing because my name did go up as first, and I, I kind of celebrated. And then I got into the pontoon, and they said, "Oh, you've done the same time." And I said, "Oh, we're sharing the gold medal." And then they're like, "No, you won." And I was I was confused as to how I'd won, and you know, like what was going on. Um, but yeah, in, in the end, uh, you know, the result was was what it was. But um, you know, it's something I think that will always be special. Um, you know, just I guess Demeer is part of that. It was uh, you know the, the closest uh, um, Olympic uh, rowing race in in the history of a sport, and um, you know it was, it was certainly uh, you know great to come out on the on the right side of it, but just a great race overall.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's you nailed it there. I mean, you know, you've been in, in so many tight races, and then to be part of the tightest race of of all time, and I mean, every single time I watch it, it's you just cannot tell who has won it on the line. And it's yeah, it's really, really amazing <laughs> to be part of it. And not only that, is the race is actually yeah. is a really, really good race. I mean, for that last, I don't know, two or three hundred meters, you are going stroke for stroke, just flat out. Both of you trying to just take that little bit of advantage, take it away from from the other person and no one is is giving anything away. And it's yeah, I mean it's a really incredible race to watch. And I think it'll be a rowing race that is watched in the future, in the future, again and again and again.
3: Yeah, I, I think Lauren said it there. I mean, even in other sports, you can you, you when you talk about uh, a f- few moments in, in sporting history where there's a game that happens that really summarizes the, the the you know the the ethics or just the you know the ethos of the sport and you know the attitudes and the respect and especially in rowing, I think that race in the final between you two was definitely. Uh, one for the books, and maybe another. Maybe another time that was a, a good one. A good one to remember was maybe the, when the when the Springboks won the World Cup. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't quite so close. <laughs> wasn't so close.
4: No. <laughs> you don't need to mention that sort yeah, of thing. I couldn't help
2: myself. Sorry, my head. Yes, Jake's just <laughs> a <throw laughs> terrible salt. human being. Cool guys, that's a wrap of Mahi Drysdale part one. And yeah, I'm sure you guys enjoy that as much as we did. What an epic episode and what an humble and awesome athlete. I think he's a role model for for any rower out there, any sportsman out there needs to to listen to that episode and such big takeaways, hey Jake.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um I think he's definitely all time great. And you know, for us it was it was a pleasure uh l- listening to him and hear him talk about uh all his um his journey through the sport. Stay tuned for part two. Part two will be coming out very soon and uh, that that will be another banger. Um, And then besides that, just some housekeeping, guys. Uh, Go support us on uh, Instagram. Go follow us on Twitter. Uh, Get in contact us. Share with any feedback that you have if you want us to, you know, if you want ideas that you want to submit for interview guests or questions, please do so. It'll be awesome to hear from you guys.
2: For sure, guys. And yeah, thanks so much for tuning in. And until part two, keep your eyes and ears peeled because it's uh, it's a banger. I know we've discussed most of the racing, but now we're going to get into what makes him uh, the, the perfect athlete that he is. So yeah, guys, until next time, we're out. Enjoy. Cheers.
3: Just, you've had it. You've uh, on the results sheet. The what you've done in a single is, you know, I don't think many people.